Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation, and importantly, appreciation. The show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne on 855am, and we're streamed live via the 3CR website. All podcasts are available at 3cr.org.au or at freedomofspecies.org or anywhere on your favourite podcasting app. Uh, I'd like to, just before we begin today, I'd like to do an acknowledgement of country. Uh, I want to acknowledge that we are on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations in Melbourne, or so-called Melbourne, known as Narn, uh, and we acknowledge um, people past, present and emerging. Thanks to Sally for another great show of Out of the Pan. Tune in next week at 12 for more of Sally covering all the important pansexual issues. And before we begin today, I just wanted to do a content warning, mention, uh, mentioning that we will be talking about systems of oppression, all types of systems of oppression from speciesism, sexism, racism, uh, queerphobia, transphobia, and others um, that may come up as part of the show. And luckily today we are joined by um, a couple of great guests as well as Nick Pendergrass. And not so great guests as well, but yeah, it's all good. I'll do my best. Um, we're joined by two local activists from Melbourne, Trevor Whedon and Bess Lazari Wegener. Sorry, mm-hmm. you can, um, <laughs> can fix that up for me if you want. That's right. Um, and we're going to be chatting about community building within animal activism community, um, building community between movements, and this includes you know, between animal movements, environmental movements, um, and social justice movements, as well as others, and discussing the idea of consistent anti-oppression, something that um, was brought to my attention recently by Trevor, one of our guests today, and a very interesting idea very important um, idea to be bringing across to the animal movement and I think other movements. Uh, Before we get into um, talking about that in depth, can can you let us know what is consistent anti-oppression and why is it important? Um, Well, consistent anti-oppression has come through uh, the experience of Largely uh, black women vegans um, who have tried to come into the animal rights scene and have found themselves marginalised through what's now known as a concept of white veganism. So single issue veganism where activists um, only believe that animals are oppressed under a a system of oppression that's called speciesism. And um, as a consequence, uh, they have tried to formulate their own sort of movement and have now coined the new term of consistent anti-oppression in applying um, that approach to um, all forms of oppression. So acknowledging um, sexism, racism, speciesism and the intersections of all of those. And in doing that, we can better create a movement that is inclusive and can recognise that people are going to have different experiences of veganism and experiences um, just communicating and interacting with people in the world. And why in particular do you think this is coming to the forefront at the moment? We've seen, we've had some conversations on the show recently that um, try to highlight these issues and we're seeing it more and more that people are um, becoming realising that there is a problem within the animal movement uh, with not having consistent anti-oppression ideas. Why do we need it now, do you think? 
There's a couple of things on that. Um, just firstly, um, hi everyone. I'm also going to say um, a quick acknowledgement um, that we are on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and we pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Um, yeah, I think one of, the, one of the main reasons, I guess, is that speciesism and animal rights is one of the few social justice issues where the oppressed individuals have a lot of trouble speaking up for themselves in a language and in a way that can be understood by the masses of people who are oppressing them. So, And not just that, but also their allies. So we have, for example, looking at other, you know, if, if people in, um, you know, if, if men are trying to be good allies to women, but then they do that in a bad way, women can speak up and say, sorry, that doesn't represent me and my feminism. You don't really know what you're talking about. Um, if we're doing similar, you know, um, incorrect or, or, or mis- well-intentioned but, but off-the-mark um, advocacy for animals, we're, we're just assuming we know what the animals would want and it's very hard for us to keep in line as a movement when there isn't people to actually keep us in line who are the ones that we want to centre. So I think it all stems from that probably is why there is a lot of these. And can you give us some examples of what might be off-the-mark sorts of advocacy, advocacy that is problematic um, within the uh, animal community? For example, um, in doing street outreach, which is um, a lot of the experience that Trevor and I have had, um, there hasn't been, for example, we're showing quite graphic and violent footage, but we're not being perhaps aware of how that may be um, triggering someone's um, mental illness or um, any kind of um, issue they may have with seeing violent imagery. Um, so in that way, it's not being uh, thoughtful of people who may experience that form of ableism. Um, yeah, there's many different issues. I mean, um, there's some of the more typical ones like um, comparisons to other forms of oppression that are used very tokenistically. Um, so it's not to say that um, different forms of oppression aren't linked and aren't similar, but when you mention, say, um, slavery or the Holocaust and you don't have any genuine intention or genuine, um, you know, recognising of the fact that these issues of anti-Semitism and racism are still prevalent today and people mm-hmm. are still feeling real, um, actual harms, death, loss of income, loss of life ability because of these systems. But we mention it as if it doesn't exist anymore mm. and that now we should be focusing only on animals. So that when you're talking to people who may have friends or may themselves be suffering from those systems of oppression and you're trying to phrase it in a way that we've solved all these ones, now let's solve the animal issue, um, they, they are going to have a hard time coming on board. They're going to feel like you're not really being consistent with your um, yeah with your compassion and with with your caring about who is suffering from oppression yeah and it's it's largely I think because um, the system of oppression is about essentially humans checking themselves and compared to other forms of oppression where um, you have women leading uh, women's liberation and black people leading black liberation. Animals are limited in, in their capacity because we have to remove ourselves from the role of oppressor. And many people believe that it's because of this dynamic that the animal rights movement has attracted um, personalities that you know are more likely to want to be able to take control and will try to liberate animals, but... In fact, they won't be checking themselves because animals don't speak English, and that is ableism in itself. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, we do have a lot of characters in the movement, grassroots and um, and elsewhere, that uh, claim claim to feel like they're doing the right thing, and in some ways they are, but they're also contributing to other forms of oppression, and that's very damaging. 
Yeah, and I think um, just if we take a step back, I'd be curious to know how you got into these issues. Just my one of my hypotheses, which uh, I'm sure Adam might uh, want some more rigorous research on this as a scientist. But uh, yeah, my I, um, my idea is that maybe people who find the animal issue first are like that issue is so bad, and therefore think these other things are either not as important or, as you say, a thing of the past, etc. Uh, and obviously, it's easier to view things that way if you're not experiencing these forms of oppression. If you are mm. white, if you are mail that kind of thing but i'm curious yeah just give a bit of background for listen in terms of were you into these you know opposing human forms of oppression first then got into animals or was it the other way around for you in terms of how you discovered these issues personally i've always uh, since a teenager been really um, um interested in feminism um and all forms of social justice and then um last year i became like more an ethical vegan, and um, I decided to get into activism straight away. I did street outreach for a while, um, and that learning about actual animal rights and the system of speciesism helped me. It was kind of a catalyst to help me to learn even more about heaps of other issues across sexism and racism, queer phobia. And so on. And after a few months of doing um, vegan activism, I actually started doing human human rights activism a lot more, and started moving away from that because I was, as I was learning about um, speciesism, I started learning more about other issues. And then I realised that the vegan spaces I were in were really horrible at dealing with these human rights issues. And um, I started to move away and learn more, and then about joining them all together. So as we call it, you know, with intersecting oppressions. Mm. I was also hoping to um, just make clear that um, a common misconception when we talk about these issues is that we're attacking the intentions of other vegan or animal rights activists, um, not in any way like we, we know and like most people are completely genuine and altruistic with their intentions to try and help eradicate speciesism and educate the public who are complicit in speciesism. Um, these are things that we recognise in the same way, though, that the public are unaware. Like, you ask anyone from the public, are they against cruelty to animals? Most people are going to say, we're against cruelty to animals. But they're also the same sort of people that are eating meat two or three times a day and purchasing these products and they don't think about it. And it's it's not because they want to do it. They're not intentionally harming animals. They just don't understand. There's a lack of education, a lack of awareness of the issues. And I think in our vegan animal rights circles at the moment, there's a similar lack of awareness and lack of education about all of these other issues and even though people like to think that they're, um, you know, feminist or they're anti-racist or they're, you know, not Islamophobic or all of these other issues, um, it's just that lack of awareness and lack of education that they, they may be perpetuating these, these problems and not be aware of it. Yeah, so other forms that we've seen um, this occur in the animal rights movement, some, um, they are... They've happened in other circles, um, but we they've kind of transformed in a different way in um, animal rights activism. And one of them is um, saviorism um, and hero worship. So, um, and we've got celebrity veganism. So, <laughs> this ties into capitalism as well, with um, vegans focusing so much on um, the one issue and not realizing that their biases that they bring from other from other areas that they've learned from the culture around them is influencing their activism. So we see, uh, you know, say, animal rights um, activists taking selfies with uh, animals in slaughterhouses, and mm. we want to constantly focus on... Well, we want to refocus on those who we are trying to liberate. You know, we wouldn't... Um, it's kind of akin to white people going to African countries and then having exactly. <laughs> their weddings um, surrounded by um, little black children. Um, it's Or it's, taking a photo when they visited a village yeah, for half an hour on part of their tour yeah. in Africa and taking a photo and, and yeah. It's so it's making it, theater. yeah, and it's making it about... Um, the allies instead of those who are trying to liberate. And mm. so we've seen plenty of examples of that and we really try to bring that up um, and sort of create dialogue between activists in order to become more aware of that. And you get mixed responses, you know, because it's still quite a new thing 
animal rights is going through this massive kind of split, like really late last year, and it had to happen, but it's been quite difficult for everyone because we've had friendships kind of being strained and pulled apart and that kind of thing over these politics, but it's completely necessary because it's about if we want liberation, we need to be having these conversations. Mm. Yeah, all all forms of oppression are linked and we can't achieve any freedoms for unless we abolish all forms of oppression. And I'm probably going to jump around a little bit because we're touching on lots of really interesting topics, but I wanted to mention something, Bess, as you were talking then, about um, you know vegans taking images of themselves with um, individuals who are in uh, in spaces of, of, of torture and oppression. And it's part of this social media um, and branding of one's own identity, mm. and it's about... I and and again, it comes back to what you were saying earlier, Trevor, um, that some of these people who are in these positions may not have experienced or have to the same extent of other other people experienced certain forms of oppression. So they're identifying with animals to sort of bring that out and sort of say, "I have, I have my." movement i have my identity i am someone that is working for injustice even though they they're not necessarily experiencing it themselves um and it's it's nuanced but i think this social media world that we've created over the last 10 years is really pushing this branding of ourselves um where we want to identify with forms of um forms of justice Yeah, and we've seen that uh, with more, I guess, capitalist-minded vegans where we've seen discourse come about around vegans having the right to basically eat vegan at certain places and it completely removes the... Um, the political aspect of veganism, which is about liberation for animals. You know, it's not about us being able to eat vegan it's about animals not having to be on our plates mm. and objectified in that manner and so really trying to recenter that um, is a challenge more than that is just anything that vegans go through and when they make it about what vegans go through as oh i get teased or oh i you know as a vegan i struggle in this way or this is difficult for me as a vegan um you know, it's not about us as vegans. It's not about the struggle. It's not about making vegans be, you know, um, have a easier life. Um, that's 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 very much a side issue of just removing barriers to veganism. But once you're vegan, it shouldn't be a concern for you anymore yourself of, of how your life is apparently so much more difficult because you are vegan. That's you would be happy to be no longer being complicit in systems of oppression that you're now aware of. Taking into account people who may um, find it more difficult due to financial hardship and disability. I also think that there is there is a place to have that conversation, though, because some people will experience... Um, I mean, bullying is a real issue, a real issue for mental health, for um, community and feeling like you are worthwhile, you, you have your place, and... If people are experiencing that because of some some sort of ethical um, position, similar to other other um, ideas, then it is a problem, and I think it's one that we should talk about. But it sh- certainly isn't animal rights. It's not about animals at that point. It's about yeah. um, about personal freedoms. And it's really difficult because it's a similar to say if you imagine in America. Um, if someone who is white is complaining about how much they're getting a hard time because they are a anti-racist and they are, you know, sympathising and being an ally for the black movement and, and blacks who are, are getting killed and suffering from oppression. And then as soon as the focus turns to them as a white person of, oh, yeah, I can see how this is a hard life for you now that you're choosing to be an ally to black people that's completely erasing the whole point of why they want to be an ally because we're trying to highlight what's happening to black people and what they are suffering. So rather than focusing on the white person who now has less less privilege and mm. they have slightly less things you know, going their way or they're suffering a little bit more in their life because they have chosen to be anti-racist, we should be still always focusing on, well, what was the point of that allyship? The point of that allyship was to focus on what, how black people are dying, how black people are underrepresented, how black people have less 
education, less income, all of these measured um, consistent variables. Yeah, so we've seen uh, in this um, movement of consistent anti-oppression approach to veganism, it's been largely led by uh, black people, especially Mm. women of colour in the United States. And we've seen some amazing things come out of it, like um, the Food Empowerment Project. So the focus is taking it away from demonising people who may not have good access or high enough income to have a whole foods plant-based diet in order to sustain their veganism, Um, focusing on creating uh, projects and methods in order for them to have access to those foods and emphasising that this is a good and important thing. And that's something that these vegan spaces are trying to bridge between human rights and animal rights because we get a lot of misconceptions from human rights activists that we are... (laughs) you know, like um, classist and racist Mm. in particular. And uh, unfortunately, this has come from the stereotype of white veganism, which funnily funnily enough has only come about through the capitalist society we live in. If you delve deeper, it's actually a lot more than that. And they'll Mm. find that they actually will agree with the people doing these kinds of projects. Yeah. And that that idea of veganism being a white thing just erases all of the other people who are vegan and doing fantastic things for animals as well. Um, I think we're going to go for a a song. And do you want to just tell us uh, about the song we're going to be listening to um, called Truth? Yes. So um, a fellow activist in Melbourne, Kelly, um, Kelly Serena, she is also a very talented musician. And I was lucky enough to be playing bass for her recently, um, as part of her um, studies and exams when she had to perform live. Um, and this is her EP, or it's a song from her EP um, called Truth, and it is um, very relevant to animal rights and veganism. And the EP is called Sentient. Are we on a path to totalitarianism? Are governments and technocrats developing technologies that hand them greater control over our lives? In the face of such far-reaching webs of control, what are we to do? With speculative minds Lizzie O'Shea, Timothy Eric Strom and Jacob Grech, we're going to be exploring these questions and more through a live panel discussion. Tune in on Wednesday, September 26th from 7am on 3CR Breakfast, where we contemplate the societies of the future. Let's reclaim our minds from the cultural engineers. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. And you're listening to Freedom of Species here on 3CR 855 AM. And today we are joined by Bess and Trevor talking about consistent anti-oppression and a little bit later on we'll be talking about community building in the movement with that frame and um so there's been a been a website that's been created recently called um the vegan bill for consistent anti-oppression which is a collaboration between author and illustrator julia fillers writer and feminist carol j adams very well known for writing sexual politics of meat and and doing lots of work in feminist space and um animal advocacy artist and teacher manika repka and carolyn bailey who is the host of ar zone podcast and part of the bill um or they they say why they have created um this bill and i just wanted to read this out because i think it's um it's good to frame this 
may a quote hope to to provide a basis that will help vegans understand some of the issues the movement needs to address in order to effectively and with justice advocate on behalf of non-humans and it puts forward 12 guiding statements um and you can find out more about this bill and even sign up to the bill sort of say i agree with this sort of stuff on the on the website and that is at consistentantioppression.com and I, I encourage all of the listeners, everyone that's listening today, to go and have a look at this. We'll go over some of those um, 12 guiding statements in a moment. But I, I was struck when I was reading it that a lot of it seems to be built around some really important ideas um, that have been developing over the last couple of decades, which are, include um, intersectionality and total liberation. And do you want to talk about, um, you were mentioning in the break, the idea of intersectionality or um, consistent anti-oppression? Yeah, so, um, I mean, this space of animal rights is still quite young, um, especially in terms of academia and the advancements that are being made every year, like ongoing, people are, are doing more research and um, it's, it's really growing really well. And part of that is incorporating other ideas from other movements. So the most recent example of that is intersectionality. Um, if people aren't aware... It's a term that is centred in black feminism. And Kimberly Crenshaw was a, or is, I believe she's still alive. Um, She is a uh, solicitor or lawyer who was looking at a case where um, in in America, I believe, there were some black um, men who were hired at a company and there were some white women who were hired at a company, but there were some black women who were let go or fired. And there was claims that the company can't be racist because they're hiring black men and they can't be sexist because they're hiring white women. And so it was intersectionality was to explain how black women suffer more than just sexism plus racism it's sexism multiplied by racism it's a compounding effect and how what they experience is is different to people who just experience one or the other um now what we've seen is that's that's a really key and and good concept to understand in terms of all forms of oppression however people have been unintentionally with 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 their own good intentions but um you know unforeseenly um partly co-opting this idea of intersectionality for other forms of oppression. So um, animal rights is one of those spaces. Um, It started to become a bit of a buzzword, intersectional vegans or intersectional animal rights. Um, There is now a bit of a movement away from that just to be respectful of the origins of the term and to let black feminists still have intersectionality as their own, as their own term to describe their experience. So, while still learning about those important lessons and um, ideas from intersectionality and to apply that to animal rights, um, a new term has been created, which is consistent anti-oppression, which, um, yeah, as you said, there's some really famous people who have been working on that. Um, And I think that it's a really good idea. I think that it also really summarises that it's, it's about being anti all oppression and being consistent with that. And it's, um, I think, a really good, good forward thing for this movement. And another uh, term that was coined by Christopher Sebastian, who's also a, a black queer animal advocate and academic, uh, is radical veganism. Um, so that's sort of the new term that a lot of uh, the black vegan movement is using. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. Um, thank you for that that background, and interesting to yeah. Now I'll try and use consistent anti-oppression as the term that I mm. that I speak about, um, and I just want to go over those twelve guiding statements. Jump in at any time when you have an idea about any of them. But we've we've covered some of these, um, and so the first is reject saverism, center non-humans in their own movement, and this is what we were talking about earlier. We need to it's less about taking those selfies and and identifying as vegan. It's not the vegan movement; it's a movement for animals. 
yeah. um, avoid celebrity veganism and so support local activism. But I may be jumping there as well. I think there's this idea uh, from more radical aspects, maybe more radical vegans are challenging hierarchies in the movement. And so mm. speciesism is about hierarchies that we place ourselves over non-human animals. And in a way, by having celebrity vegans, of having the sort of all these like leaders in the movement, these celebrities and the rest of us sort of follow along, it's sort of reinforcing these hierarchies. And I think to challenge speciesism, we really need to challenge that idea of hierarchy more generally. So, yeah, I think that is a really important one. I was also hoping to just quickly jump in with the centering non-humans in their own movement. One thing that I know was really a big point about this consistent anti-oppression um, approach was to try and get the balance right because a lot of um, what has been known in the movement as people who were coined intersectional vegans, there's been some crossover with what people call apologetic veganism or apologetic vegans where they will make excuses for the suffering and exploitation of animals because of human issues um, or other mm. ones as well. So one of the things that this consistent anti-oppression framework tries to address is that you don't need to compare or have one more important than another. Um, you can achieve all at the same time. You can practice being anti-speciesist and anti-racist and anti-sexist. You don't need to have one winning out over the other and mean that the animals lose out this time or the humans lose out this time. It's about that. And, and I guess that's in the name, consistent anti-oppression. But it was really important for people to understand that there is some, I guess, where the pendulum has swung a bit too far the other way. And there are some people who start to say things like it's okay if people harm animals, if it's because of their culture or tradition, or it's okay if people harm animals because of something else. It's like, well, it's not okay. You can understand why they're doing it. Mm. And you can make sure that you are really sympathetic to those reasons of why they're doing it. But it doesn't mean that we should allow it to... We, sh we shouldn't give it a free pass, basically. It's sort of like um, when people come up to you and say, well, you've got to respect my, my beliefs and decisions. And it's sort of like, well, I respect you as a person, but I don't actually ex respect the behaviour and actions that you're perpetrating upon animals. Yeah. And I think an, an example which best touched on earlier is the Food Empowerment Project where they're getting healthy vegan foods into low-income communities. And again, that's a win-win situation. It's, it's providing people with healthy food for these marginalised communities. They're vegan foods. They only promote vegan foods and vegan recipes, that kind of thing on their website. So I think that's a really good example of that win-win, like opposing classism and opposing speciesism. We've got uh, number three is avoid oppressive language. Number four, recognise the accessibility is a very real root issue that veganism must work on. We need to promote veganism as a whole, not in pieces. So this is the promotion of, the, of stopping oppression of animals, not necessarily you know, stopping birds being, or chickens being in um, smaller cages, these sorts of, these sorts of questions. Recognise that different communities experience veganism differently. We need to ensure accessibility to vegan events for those with disabilities. And this is an interesting one um, as well. I think that it's important that we recognise it's not just physically in physical space, but um, in my workplace, I do a little bit on uh, digital accessibility. And lots of our online spaces are, are not very accessible to others. So if we're not able to share information in an accessible way, and that means by both the language we use, we use a lot of academic language um, sometimes, but also in being actually able to read what's on a screen. There's lots of people who have um, who live with vision impairment or um, other other. Uh, disabilities that make it hard for them to access information online, making sure that we have that set out very well and very nicely for them is important. Yeah, a simple example of that is something I've been learning and trying to correct within my own behaviour is even just sharing memes or photos on Facebook and putting captions there to describe it for people who are visually impaired because there are people who use Facebook um, and they use readers which will read out the text, but if there's text in an image it will not be able to read that and they will miss out. And a lot of people can try and gloss over this and say it's not that important, but it that is ableism. Yeah. Um, and, and we need to... It's, it's simple little things that we can do. We know that no one's intending to be ableist by sharing an image without writing out a descriptor. 
It's not that we're saying that they're a horrible person because they're not thinking about people who are disabled, but it is something that once you know better, you do better. I guess that's the a governing theory of, of all of these sorts of anti-oppressive mindsets. So it's just about figuring out lots of little different things that you can do. And rather than being closed-minded once someone brings this issue up, being open-minded, embracing it and saying, okay, I understand that there are people who this will marginalise or leave out, so I'm going to try and change my behaviour. Yep. And it's people with a disability, yeah. Sorry, so um, recognising that anyone's vegan activism is not more important than their participation in oppressive behaviours. Someone want to talk to this? This is a really important one, I think. Um well, this is interesting because it uh, it touches on what you were talking um, to Beth and Brady about a few weeks ago and mm. how we excuse uh, many people's oppressive behaviour by saying, well, look what they're doing for the animals. <laughs> and I think it's important to acknowledge that while we are um, wrestling with this issue in animal rights, it's not unique to animal rights. In queer liberation, there's been issues of racism and biphobia. Feminism has had issues of racism for a long time. And it's really about these movements evolving to basically all of them want to be consistent anti-oppression. Veganism is just the newest one. And so we also, as a young movement, have to grapple with not trying to make these mistakes and correcting them if they happen. Yeah, and I think also we, we may have touched on this with the uh, the episode with um, Bridie and Beth as well, but I think this idea you're doing so much for animals, but you're not if you're kind of shrinking the movement and, and similar critiques of like white feminism, for example, they're doing so much for women. It's like, well, are they doing so much for all women if they're being racist, for example? And, and same with animals. If, yeah, they might be doing a lot of activism for animals, but if they're being sexist, racist, et cetera, they're actually turning all these people away from the movement. So I'd argue maybe they're not doing so much for animals because they're shrinking the movement. Absolutely. And I was going to say like just – because there are a lot of people that might be listening that haven't had direct experiences with this or haven't thought about this much before. So in the same way that just because someone who who goes out at night and punches someone, you know, how you've seen people doing those like one hit punches, just walking down the street randomly hitting people that have come out in the news before, those sort of, um, you know, places where people drink a lot, like they're, they're obvious things that are are bad actions. Now that person might do lots of good things in their life. They might give to charity, they might volunteer, they might and and people can do good and bad things. And just because you highlight something that someone does that is a bad thing and that they've done some behavior or they've had an attitude or they've said something that harms someone, just because they've done some good things doesn't mean that that doesn't exist. And just because you're highlighting that they've done something bad that exists, it doesn't mean that you're trying to take away all of the good things they're doing. We need to be able to be open-minded enough and critical enough to say, well, yep, this person is leading an animal rights organization and they're going out and they're doing things every week. However, they are also interrupting women when they're trying to do outreach or they're also um, potentially touching someone inappropriately or they're using bad language or they are, you know, trying to say that, you know, there are no more than two genders and that they are um, silencing or erasing people who are trans or otherwise queer. These these are things, just because they're doing so much for the animal movement, it doesn't mean that they are immune to that criticism. And and we, we really shouldn't be giving them a free pass or trying mm. to gloss over the negative things that they are doing in other ways just because of, of their advancements in, in one area of animal rights. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got, we need to ensure marginalised vegans have an equal platform within our organisations and the end, and events beyond just simple tokenism. And this one is um, particularly relevant, I think, for lots and lots of organisations and groups. Uh, do you have any comments on, on how that can happen? Well, I guess we want to elevate the voices of marginalised people as much as possible. We have organisers uh, for v- events and marches in animal rights where they have only um, asked women and women of colour to speak. Um, That's one example. And we've got um, 11, number 11 of these statements is um, we need to have consent in our activism and this is vital. And I think you were mentioning something about this, Bess, earlier when you mentioned that um, we're not going to reach people if we're 
maybe showing them something that is very problematic for them, say it's triggering something um, or making them experience PTSD uh, or, or some sort of other issue, we need to get consent when we um, when we're doing that sort of outreach. Yeah, and this comes back to the uh, warnings for graphic imagery mm-hmm. uh, when we're showing slaughterhouse footage. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. We've um, just on that. I know that myself and Bess and Adam have all been um, involved at different times with street outreach in Melbourne, which has used um, open to view TV screens on the street. Um, so. We, we want to make sure that people know that we're not trying to say that you have to be perfect and if you're less than perfect, you're a bad vegan or you're a bad activist and you're not allowed to do anything else or you have to change. We're all, I know um, someone best mentioned earlier, Christopher Sebastian McJedders, he, he said once in one of his blogs or a post that we're all doing shit things. It's just about trying to be less shit with our activism. Yeah. <laughs> so constantly evolving, constantly learning to be less shit and not just accepting that I'm where I am and I don't need to grow anymore. So um, warning images, for example, is um, or warning signs on, on graphic images is something that I know that in Melbourne we have raised with Anonymous for the Voiceless when we were members of, of that organisation and also with Animal Activist Collective. Uh, in Both of those organisations didn't take up that idea. So um, it's, it's just an example. We're not trying to say that people are horrible people. We're just saying that there are these issues that people aren't thinking of or aren't thinking of enough and that we're trying to raise it just to try and increase the, the, the way that we can do activism in a better way. And most of the arguments against it were because they thought that we would turn away people from looking at the screens because there was a warning sign. I, I don't think that that has any weight. I don't know if there's been any research to support that. I think that there's a lot of people who walk past and don't even look anyway. Um, I think that it's it, it definitely outweighs um, that potential negative of the positive of being respectful of people who have, you know, PTSD and other issues. So that if they're looking at the image and they're not sure what it is just yet, and they see a warning graphic image, they have time to look away before they see something. And just briefly, I think also content warnings often actually allow people to view more content. I think otherwise they might be like, oh, it's animal related. I just won't watch because it might be graphic. We just actually let people know what is in the information. Actually, be more likely to sort of feel safe to read ahead or watch or whatever it is. Yeah, and there's also other ways. I mean, people have, have looked at doing pay-per-view instead where people sit down and they'll watch a private video on the street instead of watching a publicly visible TV screen. Um, there's also ways where we can have cartoon videos that can get the same message across um, that are a lot less graphic um, and also just just doing lots of different things to make sure that we're, we're trying to be as, as accessible as possible. And then finally, statement 12 is work on root issues do not target individuals. And I think this is a, a good example of what we're doing today, is discussing some of the root issues that we have and that we're facing within um, this movement and other movements, and not just singling out people for bad behaviour or bad attitudes, but saying that it's more of a systematic issue that we all need to be addressing and working towards. Definitely. Um, I'll just quickly say that um, a key one that's come up, I mean, there, there's been, especially in Melbourne, some a couple of individuals that have been receiving a lot of attention about recent issues. Um, we, we have to be careful to not make this about there are one or two or a handful of key individuals who are a problem. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. We have a culture in the animal rights society and in the vegan society in Melbourne where people are enabling this behavior not intentionally but without being mindful enough of how these issues can arise they are minimizing it when it happens so when something happens it is an issue they are saying it's not that much of a big deal let's just focus back on working together for the animals Uh, when people raise these issues they might say stop trying to divide us stop trying to cause an argument stop trying to cause drama Um, there's lots of these these typical things that come up and it's not from people who are trying to deliberately silence these things, but it's, it's all about awareness and education. Finding out who is harmed when these attitudes and behaviours take place, especially when they become a cultural norm within the majority of an organisation or the majority of volunteers believe or are okay with these 
you know, attitudes and behaviours to take place and how that will be harming people and excluding people from the movement. Yeah, and I think we... Sort of an analogy you could say is that people who go vegan for animal rights, they're sort of woken up to one form of oppression without realising that they haven't woken up to, say, sexism or racism and actually seen Mm. how devastating they are as systems as well and how much they are hurting and killing people. Uh, And you have a similar thing happening on the flip side with human rights. Uh, They are very aware of how humans are oppressed and do great work in that area, but they kind of refuse to acknowledge because they're not as educated in how animals are oppressed. And I'm going to ask you to hold that thought and we'll come back to that after a track from Trevor. Do you want to talk about this track? Is this one of mine, is it? This is yours from the album A Touch Faster. Yeah, so this is an EP that my band Charm put out a few years ago. Um, I haven't been able to do as much music recently because I have been throwing myself into activism and volunteering. But um, this song is called Square One and um, it's available on Bandcamp if anyone wants to have a listen. It's free on there. Environmental Film Festival Australia is on again. See the impact of climate change and meet heroes fighting for justice. Witness the beauty of nature and hear the sounds of our world. Meet the filmmakers and experts inspiring change and join the conversation to create a sustainable future. Face the facts, face the future, face the films. The Environmental Film Festival Australia in Melbourne from October the 11th to the 19th. Tickets at effa.org.au. A 3CR supporter. And welcome back to Freedom of Species. Uh, We are talking all things consistent anti-oppression here with Bess and Trevor, activists from Melbourne. And we're just going to finish up. um, Bess was mentioning just before we went out on that song break that... We we are talking about a consistent anti-oppression within the animal movement, within um, the vegan movement, but this is also, it can be um, translated the other way around when we move into other spaces where people are very conscious of animal, of, of human issues, but aren't so conscious of the animal issues. And you both presented at the Students for Sustainability or Students of Sustainability conference earlier this year on consistent anti-oppression within the environmental space. Can you give us a little bit of feedback about how that went and um, what reactions you got? Uh, Yeah, so we did that um, as well with um, Joanne Madden. She helped, so it was the three of us that were organising that. Um, It went really surprisingly well. Um, We had more people attending that session than any of the other nearby sessions that we were at, um, and they were quite enthusiastic. it was really interesting to see that there is a growing amount of people in the environmental space who are becoming aware of the links between animal rights and animal agriculture and the environment. Um, And we were trying to, I guess, help give them some more information so they could see that there were even more links between other systems of oppression, such as sexism, racism, and ableism were the ones that we, the three ones that we focused on for that workshop. Yeah. So we, Um, arrived there a bit early and uh, what happened was we we arrived to our room and saw that the one next to them next to it there wasn't really anyone in there aside from the people um, who were running the workshop and they came out and asked would they would we like to do theirs and they were the um, uh, from the catering collective doing the um, catering the conference and uh, we were like, sure, you know, we can um, discuss food. We're here. We're vegan activists. <laughs> That's kind of our, <laughs> our niche. I don't think we mentioned that we were vegan activists. No, they didn't know. 
<laughs> How'd that conversation go? Well, you know, it started out um, pretty, um, you know, decent. And then it, it got a little bit heated towards the end because they were ex-vegans. And uh, they basically have definitely... They even have their own literature around how vegans need to be more inclusive. And um, we are aware of that for those who are in the anti, um, I mean, consistent anti-oppression sort of uh, scenes. Uh, But unfortunately, they they feel that uh, veganism is always um, associated with forms of oppression like racism and classism in particular. And white veganism. Yeah, they've definitely uh, sort of internalised the message that veganism is a white middle-class thing. And that's really unfortunate because, you know, we we tried to discuss the work done by uh, black vegans um, in America, um, people who are disabled, uh, and, you know, all the academia, the books that are being, uh, that have come out, uh, that are really amazing work that's really influential at the moment. Mm. Um but they they are a bit they were quite uh, stuck in their views at that point. Uh, so I feel like our job is, is to really kind of show people that there are people who are trying to bring all of these together. Mm. That we are mindful and we we do, we're not trying to step on anyone's toes. It, it was a very contentious issue at um, SOS, the catering of um, animal flesh. Mm. At that, at that and I want to raise that, uh, running out of time, but just very briefly, that the, the argument that we're making was we can't just consider the environment as a whole. We need to consider individual animals as well. And I think that was quite well received. But then when it came to veganism specifically, so considering animals is good, but veganism, that was where the big debate was, yeah. And to wrap up, because we're quickly running out of time, do we have some community announcements? Yes, um, there's going to be um, some ongoing events. We've had two events so far. They're monthly dinner and discussion events, which have come from the recent ICAS conference that was in Docklands a couple of months ago. So the next one is going to be October the 24th at the Melbourne Anarchist Club. Um, And that's online. You can search for that on Facebook. It's called um, Dinner and Discussion October. And its host is the Melbourne Vegan Community Meetings. And this has come out of uh, bringing, wanting to bring more, peop- more like-minded people together in terms of following this consistent anti-oppression stance to veganism. And if I can say as well, um, there's another group uh, which has been running for a while called Melbourne Vegans for Other Causes. That's a Facebook group. Um, and that's a place to try and help share... Um, make it more common for vegans to care about these other issues, but in a non-compromising way. So not making it that human issues are more important than animal issues, but just a a way to encourage all vegans to get involved in other activism um, and other events that affect um, all of the other issues we've talked about. Great. Uh, Thank you for listening. And we were going to try and get into community building on this episode as well, but that we just had too much to talk about in terms of consistent anti-oppression. So I am going to invite you on for a future um, conversation about community building. Thank (laughs) Thank you very much for listening and stay tuned to listen to In Psychedelia. This is East Bay Ray from Dead Kennedys. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Have an orgasm for Christ. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.